0: In his book, Jesus Outside the Lines, Scott Sauls tells a story that probably most of us could identify with. Um, Scott talks about living in New York City and walking down Broadway one day, um, just minding his own business when uh, suddenly he's interrupted by a woman there sitting in front of a bagel shop. She asked him if he, if, um, she could, if he could get her some food. He says, sure, I'll go in the bagel shop. I'll get you a cup of coffee and um, a bagel. And the lady politely and yet rather rudely interrupts and says, really, rather than a bagel, I'd really like to have a container of egg salad. And of course, Scott says, sure, and walks in. But the whole time as he's approaching the the counter, he's thinking thoughts that probably you and I would be thinking, he's thinking, wow, I offered a bagel, which is about 75 cents. She wants egg salad, which is about $6. Uh, How dare she be so so rude and able to ask that? Of course, then he walks up to the counter. He purchases the egg salad and the coffee, and he takes it out and presents the gift to the lady on the street. He had recognized her as uh, someone who's always there, uh, someone who's homeless, someone who was no doubt hungry, and so he was glad to give her the gift, but also part of him in our old human nature looked at her as if to say, would you like maybe a filet mignon instead, or maybe, maybe you would like some caviar with that. Of course, he didn't say that, but that's how we think when people interrupt us and when people begin to brashly ask us for things Just as he handed it to her, the lady looked at him very sincerely and said, Thank you, and I appreciate the egg salad. She said, Soft foods is all I can eat right now because of gum disease and teeth that are diseased. I I can't eat anything that's hard, and bagels would be impossible for me to eat, so this is perfect. Of course, Saul's felt about an inch high and was glad that he had not said anything. Now you know what? You and I can identify with that, can't we? Because you probably have your own story of when you were interrupted. You were just going along, minding your own business, doing your own thing, and somebody, some person interrupted you. It might have been to buy them some food. It might have been to buy them some gas. It might have been that they had a flat tire alongside the road. It might be something else that was happening in their life and they needed help. They looked to you and your day was interrupted. That's what This series is all about. How do we handle, how do we deal with, how do we react to interruptions in our lives? Now, we know that interruptions come in all shapes and sizes. We know that interruptions can be um, many faceted uh, events, but one thing most interruptions have in common for us, and that is they often involve people. People are often great interrupters in our lives. Sometimes it's a circumstance, sometimes it's something else, but many, many times, it's people. So how do we view people and how do we view people who interrupt us? Well, last week we opened the series by talking about Jesus and showing some interruptions in his life. Jesus like us uh, got tired. Jesus like us got hungry. Jesus like us invited uh, uh, loved to be with friends and Jesus like us uh, had interruptions to his life. The difference is, I'm not sure he saw them as interruptions, but more so as opportunities. Because when Jesus was interrupted in scripture, every time he turned it into an opportunity. He turned it into an opportunity, first of all, to teach his disciples something about himself, or maybe to teach them something about himself. And so we understand that jesus and opportunities um, go together here in ways that we can understand so our big idea for the series is simply this jesus can turn our interruptions into opportunities we saw it last week. There were four different miracles that we looked at, and, and we, we noticed quickly that, that all four of these miracles go together. All four of these miracles happened in a very short period of time, and all four miracles were interruptions. They, they resulted because there was an interruption. You remember his nap was interrupted when the, the sea got boisterous and the storm came up on the Sea of Galilee, and then he was interrupted by the demoniac when he came to Gadara and then he was interrupted by Jairus who needed his daughter to be healed and then he was interrupted by a woman with an an issue of bleeding but each time before the miracle or as the miracle or in the miracle Jesus taught the disciples something about himself You need to go back and pick that that message up because I'm telling you, there were some powerful things there that we were able to observe that Jesus taught them about himself. He took the opportunity, the interruption, as an opportunity to teach them about himself. Now today... We're going to see again, Jesus is interrupted, but this time he's going to take an opportunity, take the interruption, turn it into an opportunity to teach the disciples something about themselves, something that he wants them to see about themselves. And little spoiler alert, what he's going to teach them about themselves is how they view people and how they view people, how they see people and interruptions. So I invite you to take your Bibles if you want to. Uh, Maybe you have a hard copy. Maybe it's on your tablet, your phone, or whatever. Also, it'll be on the screen in a few moments. And read along with me in Matthew's gospel. We'll be in chapter 15 of Matthew. Let me set the stage for you just a little bit. Matthew 15 is one of the eyewitness accounts of, of Matthew, from Matthew, of the life of Jesus. He's talking about a time when Jesus is in an area of the land known as the Galilee. And, and more particularly and more specifically, he is around the Sea of Galilee in places like Capernaum and um, places that he would be visiting on regular occasions. And so he's teaching the crowds, he's preaching, he's, um, he's, he's healing the sick, He's answering questions. The crowds are pressing on him. It's nonstop. Go, go, go. We saw that last week from one instance to another, to another, to another. So much that he took a nap on the boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. So he's tired. His disciples are tired. They're weary. They fed 5,000 people and all that goes with that. Everything that's happened is wearing on them. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you know what? Let's just turn aside for a little while. And so they take what might might I don't know for sure, but, but might, to us, be something similar to a spiritual retreat. They decide to get away and they get away. They go into a far country, or or for them, a a good distance away. We pick up reading in Matthew 15. I want to show you two things. First of all, what happened, what what caused the interruption, what was the interruption, and then secondly, I want to show you this woman's faith that is incredible that Jesus uses to teach the disciples a valuable lesson. So, Matthew 15, beginning with verse 21 through 24, what happened? When Jesus left there, that is, left the region of the Galilee, He withdrew to the... Notice withdrew. I think that's a key word. That tells us, that signals that he's not just traveling with something else in mind. He's withdrawing from the crowds. He's getting away from the crowds. He wants to be hidden. He doesn't want people to see or know him. So he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are two cities in what is currently Lebanon, right at the Lebanese-Israeli border. In that day, it was a part, all the part of that land of Palestine. They were Roman cities, part of the Decapolis, and those Roman cities were port cities in what we know now as Lebanon. They arrived, he withdrew the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let's talk about this just for a minute. So Jesus is is trying to get away. He, he moves to a, a, a place where people would not have followed him. I put a map here to maybe help you to see and understand where he's talking about. Here's Jerusalem, here's the Sea of Galilee in the area of the Galilee where he was. And although on the map, it doesn't look very far and as the crow flies probably isn't, but in days of traveling on foot, it was a long ways to move to Tyre and Sidon, harbor towns up in what we now know as Lebanon. So Jesus is going to get away, spiritual retreat. But his retreat is interrupted. No sooner than he gets there, no sooner than he begins the rest. And I don't know what they have in plan. I don't know what's going on. But before they can do anything, what happens? They're interrupted by a person. This person is a woman. Now, there's several things that I notice about this woman in the scripture we just read that are intriguing. First of all, I notice her nationality. She's a Canaanite. (laughs) you <laughs> Now, that tells us a couple of things, and, and don't lose the significance of this. The Canaanites, they were Gentiles for beginners, the verse, for starting points, and we know how the Jews felt toward the Gentiles. They, they, they had nothing to do with them. In fact, the Jews would actually refer to Gentiles as dogs. <laughs> yeah, dogs, or in this case, sometimes little puppies. And, and it was a it was meant to be a, a slur. It was meant to be uh, something to show their their. their content with the gentiles but now we see even further this woman was a canaanite why did matthew mention that i think it's very important the canaanites had been around and in this land even before the israelites had come there you may remember that when joshua prepared to take the land of canaan when god spoke to him and challenged him to take the land he told them there were canaanites there and they needed to drive out the canaanites Of course, if you know your Hebrew history, you know that the Canaanites were never fully driven out. They were suppressed. They were chased away from some of their cities, such as Jericho, but they never quite got stomped out. They never quite left the land completely. And so the Canaanites are thorns in the flesh, uh, thorns in the side of the Israelites throughout their history. And so it's no mistake that Matthew points out, not only is is Jesus interrupted this day by a woman, but by a Canaanite woman from a Gentile Roman city of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I don't know about you, but that, I've got to stop here and pause just a moment. When we're interrupted, one of the things I think Jesus is teaching us from this parable, this, this story, I should say, um, is that he's showing us that we need to care for people, that people matter, even people who are different than us, even people who speak differently, who walk differently, who talk differently, who dress differently, who think differently, who value differently. This is a totally... Uh, unacceptable woman in the disciples' sight. In fact, they say, let's just push her away. Let's just disregard her. Lord, let's just move on, tell her to leave." So I noticed first of all her nationality. The second thing I notice about this woman is her insight, because when she addressed Jesus and came to him with a question, when she interrupted him, she called him, "What? Son of man?" Now, that may not seem like much to us, but it's very insightful because that was a term that we know now today, today we know now, and many understood in that day, that's a term of the Messiah. That's a name for, that's what was a title for, Messiah, Messiah. The prophets had called the coming Hamashiach, the coming Messiah, they called him the son of man. So it was a very insightful comment. And I'm certain that that insightful comment is not missed by either the disciples or Jesus. And then I notice her tenacity. I notice that she's coming to him boldly. She understands she's a Gentile. She understands he's a Jew. She understands she's just a lady with no value or no meaning. We're not even told her name. And yet she's approaching the Jewish Messiah as she sees it. So she comes boldly with all tenacity and says, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. I have a daughter who's in desperate need of help. So how's Jesus going to respond? Well, interestingly, unlike last week, he doesn't respond immediately. Remember, we pointed out last week that in every instance, in every miracle that occurred, Jesus responded immediately, but this week, he doesn't respond immediately. Uh, One commentator had a good word, a good uh, comment on this. He said, "'Surprisingly, Jesus breaks his pattern of immediately responding to requests for healing. His silence, therefore, seems deliberate and dramatic.'" The closest parallel to date has been the seemingly unintentional delay before Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. Remember that? We saw that last week. A delay that ultimately magnified both the miracle and God's glory. What the commentator is saying, that I think is absolutely right, is that Jesus delayed a moment with Jairus to, pre- to teach a very valuable lesson. That he is in control of life and death and there is no need to rush. Just to get there before she died, you'll have to read the story. In this case, Jesus delays again with something intentional in mind. He wants to teach his disciples, and I'm convinced he wants to teach them something about themselves. He wants to take the interruption that could have frustrated him, that could have even angered him, that could have, in fact, um, uh, gotten under all of their skins. He's taken the interruption as an opportunity. He's doing what we talked about last week. He's going to lean in to the interruption in order to have an opportunity to teach them. So what's he going to teach them? He's going to teach them about how they view people and how they should view people. Now, let's go on with the story and let's notice this woman's faith. Watch what happens. She came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, hold on just a minute there. Did he just call her a dog? Well, yeah, he did. But here's the thing. Understand, I said earlier, the Jews referred often to the Gentile as dogs. Immediately, he's designating that, wait a minute, um, you're a Gentile. The children are Israelites, the Israelis, and it isn't right to take what is intended, the bread that is intended for the children, and throw it to the Gentiles. In other words, the bread that was intended for the Jews, wait a minute, that's not ready for the Gentiles. Let's look on. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. Don't you love that? What a response. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Now, What a a moment, and I don't want us to miss the moment. There's so much here that we could talk about, and I want to purposefully, intentionally nail down what we need to talk about for this talk, and that is this. This woman's faith is incredible and teaches a great lesson. What do we see about her faith? First of all, I noticed that she knelt before the Lord. When she approached him for a moment of healing, she knelt before him. Listen, the wonderful thing about you and I is we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. We're invited to come to the feet of Jesus. We're invited to bring our needs to the Lord. When we are in need of healing, when we are in need of restoration, when we are in need of of, of provision, when we are in need of something, yes, we can come because our Heavenly Father invites us to come. But can I just say, I think it's important that when this woman came to Jesus, it's noted that she knelt before him. When we come to the throne of grace and we come before God with our needs, we need to come humbly. We need to come kneeling before him, not demanding of him, not citing what he should do, not even citing what he might do, but rather to simply fall humbly at his feet and let our request persistently and tenaciously be known. The second thing I noticed is that she persistently pursued him. When he looked at her and said, you know what, I'm not going to answer that. the, The dogs don't eat the children's food. In a way, it seems as though he wants to just write it off. It's it's as though he's just pushing it aside. Now, remember, I'm convinced he's doing it intentionally. He has a lesson to teach. His timing is always perfect. But in her mind, she must have been thinking, he's just pushing me aside. But she persistently, tenaciously pursues him. And what a lesson there is for there. I can't just go back without a little side word here to say, we indeed need to, as followers of Christ, tenaciously, persistently pursue him. Pursue the knowledge of Christ. Paul the apostle said, the drive of my life, the purpose of my life, the intent of my life is to know him, is to pursue him tenaciously, persistently, and with every fiber of my being. In fact, he says, I agonize, I strain toward the mark for the prize Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, it's important that we strive. And then I noticed this. She was good with the crumbs. She was good with the crumbs. When he said to her, the children, the the dogs can't eat the children's food. She said, yes, but I'll just take the crumbs. What a great thought. What a great thing. The woman's faith was so strong that she understood that the crumbs that Jesus would offer is better than the delicacies that the world has to offer. She was good with the crumbs. And she was consistent and she was persistent and she understood that the crumbs would be sufficient to heal her daughter. Well, when Jesus heard those words, when he saw her faith, he stopped and he said, woman, your faith is great. Your faith is powerful. So from this day, your daughter will be well and she was healed. So Jesus handled this interruption differently. He didn't do it immediately. He didn't do it to show them something about himself, but rather he did this to show them or teach them about them, the disciples about them. How did they view other people? He wants us to know that people matter. People matter to God, and people should matter to us. People matter to God, people should matter to the church. People matter to God, people should matter to you. Not as problems, we see people, not as problems, but as people. Scott Sauls said it well. He said when he looked at the woman, typically we would think of her as a problem, but instead he saw her as a people, as a person and wanted to meet that need. Here is a Syrophoenician woman coming to Jesus a long time ago, and what she's asking for is she doesn't want a bagel. She wants (laughs) what? Egg salad. She wants the big deal. Her daughter healed. And Jesus looks at her not as a problem, but as a person. Now, the disciples were looking at her as a problem, urging him to send her away. But he saw her as a person. Not a problem. We need to see people as people, not as problems. Not as interruptions, but as opportunities to demonstrate the love of God for people. We need to understand it's an opportunity for us to demonstrate God's love for people in all colors, shapes, and sizes. It's an opportunity for us to love people as Christ loved us. What an opportunity. So how do you view people? How do you see people I think the big thing that we want to drill down on this morning is that thought. How do I see people? What's my perspective? Do I see people who interrupt as a problem? Or do I see people who interrupt as a person for whom Christ died and an opportunity for me to express the love of God toward? What a difference. How do we view people i'm afraid too often today we view people only for what value they can bring to my life how they might advance my own agenda if i'm afraid too many times today we look at people as only as as only opportunities to advance our cause and if they're not an opportunity to advance our cause we want nothing to do with them if it's going to inconvenience us we want nothing to do with them jesus is saying that's how you view people but that's not how i see them i see people as souls worth dying for. And I see people as opportunities for you to express the love of God to a lost world and therefore glorify a God of love. So very important for us. That's why one of our values here at the Orchard is, we say it often, we want something for you and not from you. If we're only looking as people, at people as, as, as instruments to build or advance my own agenda, then we tend to want something from people, not for them. But if we can get beyond that and understand that people are not there to advance my own agenda, but my agenda includes loving those people, then we begin to want something for people. So our takeaway today is really pretty simple. Takeaway today is this. I want to encourage you. See people as people, not problems. Now, that's pretty simple, but that's extremely challenging. You know it, and I know it. Most often, if we see the little lady by the bagel store in front of the bagel store, our tendency is, because we're in a hurry, because we have important things to do, because we don't want to be inconvenienced, because we are advancing our own agenda, we're just going to pass right by. And yet, Jesus... Reminds us here today that we can't just pass by. We're going to, as the disciples, urge him to let us pass by. But he won't let us pass by. I mentioned um, several times, I've just recently finished a book by Andy Stanley. I'd highly recommend that you get it called Better Decisions. Making better decisions and having fewer regrets. And in that, he poses five questions to ask himself. And the fifth of those five questions is the most challenging and relates to what we're talking about here. Andy says, when you're not sure what to do, ask yourself this question. What does love require? (laughs) What does love require of me? When I see a person in need, what does love require of me? Not necessarily what's right, what's wrong. Is there anything wrong with just going on? Well, probably not. But what does love require that I do? Love requires that I see people as people, not as problems. So what a great lesson and what a great thought as to how we handle interruptions, especially and particularly when it's people. We love people and we see them as people, not as problems. What a challenge. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day today. And thank you for the opportunity we have to worship Thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word and for the opportunity that we have to bless people. Help us, Lord. It's not in our nature. Would you change us, transform us, God? Would you make us new so that we see people as people and not as problems? And we see people as an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ that is resident within us, the love of Christ that went to a cruel cross and died on our behalf, the love of Christ that constrains us and compels us with this gospel story. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be faithful to declare your glory and grace, that you are a God of love through our actions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.